Six months or so ago, I, I was in Appleton, Wisconsin at a high school giving a talk called How to Be an MVP Employee. And why is this so relevant? Well, so many young people don't have the kind of jobs available like you and I might have had when we were in our teen years. And, and if you don't have any experience in the workforce, you really are going in fairly green. And that's part of the issue in the millennial generation is they're not having many of the same opportunities that we did of, of working in that real world. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has inspired in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and speaker, Dennis Trittine. And on today's Eternal Leadership, we're going to talk to Dennis about his books, Parenting for the Launch, and What I Wish I Knew at 18. From those titles, you can be assured we're going to talk about how to prepare your kids for the real world and how you as a parent can equip their faith to stand when they leave the nest. But we'll also talk to Dennis about his transition from helping manage $220 billion with Russell Investments as the Director of Research and the Director of Investment Strategy, transitioning over to his current writing and speaking careers. So without further ado, here's my co-host John Ramstead and I talking with Dennis Trittine on today's Eternal Leadership. Uh, today on Eternal Leadership, we have Dennis Trittine, and Dennis and I met through Pinnacle Forum, and Pinnacle is a Christian leadership organization that I really encourage everybody to check out. It's just made, it's been of huge value to my life and Dennis's life. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but you know, Dennis has had just this incredible career in business at the, just the pinnacles of Wall Street, uh, but it, God put a message on his heart to really raise up and equip and teach the next generation in addition to what he's doing in, in leadership and business around the world and in this country. And Dennis, we're really excited to have you on today. Welcome. Well, thanks so much, John and Steve. It's just great to be with you. So, so Dennis, so people can get to know you a little bit. Could you just share a little bit about your journey and, and uh, all the way through what you're doing now? You bet. Well, I would say in my current chapter, the seeds were, were really planted back in about 2002 or 2003. Um, at that time, I was living truly the dream career uh, at Russell Investments. Um, uh, it's a, it was a wonderful global investment management firm. I was research director, strategy director, and, and personally managed about $30 billion of assets for clients all around the world. And I, I had this unique wheelhouse of leadership where um, my job was to evaluate leaders around the world and make decisions on who was deserving of our client assets. So leadership and, and evaluating leaders has always been a key part of what I've done. But I could sense the Lord was nudging me in a, in a different direction in 2003 when um, my, my joy started to wane a little bit in, in my career, but I also realized that where I received the greatest fulfillment was when I was with kids, whether as a mentor, whether coaching my daughter's basketball teams. And it, it really became um, noticeable to me that I needed to actively look for more opportunities to be with kids. And so I pursued a little research I talked with youth pastors, I talked with mentors, I talked with teachers to see if it is it this, is it this, is it this, and nothing came to me, but that was okay. Uh, but the next thing that happened was I became a deacon at our church, and then a few years after that, um, I was asked to be on the school board of Lighthouse Christian School here in Gig Harbor. Uh, 
Um, and so you can see how the Lord was actually planting little baby steps along the way. And ultimately, in 2008, when I was the board chair of Lighthouse, um, I decided to retire from my investment management career at the top to devote the rest of my life to serving God and pouring into kids. So 2008 was a, a major change year. I was 53 at the time. And, um, and I knew that the Lord was going to be teeing up lots of opportunities. But what happened that was the, the seminal event for me, the turning point, was in August of that year when our son, Michael, was ready to leave for his freshman year of college. And this was our family's first opportunity to launch a son or daughter into that real world out there. And uh, I was by myself in my room thinking about the fact I had two weeks left. I had him for 17 years, poured into him, but what is left for me to cover to make sure I've given him every ounce of wisdom mm. I could. And, um, and I, I felt so convicted. I went down into the den. I opened up a Word document, and the Lord just filled my mind with phrases of life wisdom of what it is to be a great leader and what it, what it uh, is involved in making career decisions, marriage and family decisions, financial decisions right the first time. So sitting in front of, of my computer, I compiled a list of 100 life success pointers that ultimately became a book, which became um, a, a self-employed um, business called Life Smart Publishing. And now my focus um, is on training up the younger generation with books and curriculum on teaching leadership and life skills, but also equipping parents um, and educators, the people who are guiding our kids, with godly leadership principles to pour into these kids who need it so much. You know, Dennis, I'd love to, you know, as we dive into this, I'd like to rewind just a little bit. When you were at Russell and you were evaluating leaders across the spectrum, right? They were, they were believers. They weren't believers. You were just looking at business excellence, leadership excellence. What are some of the things that you noticed, characteristics that were in common that maybe might have informed this list of hundred that God put on your heart later on? You bet. Well, I, I think the the key thing, a lot of us feel that in the career area, it's skills that matter the most. But I would actually say it's relational strength that makes, makes the, the people who are the true leaders truly great in managing their businesses. So some of those aspects of emotional intelligence. Exactly. And how do you as a leader bring out the best in people? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was at Russell, uh, George always said, we put our people first. And if we do that, then our people will take care of our customers. Whereas a lot of businesses are putting the shareholder first or putting the customer first, but by not investing enough in the people, it's not sustainable. So um, in all of the work that I've done through Russell, whether it's working there or observing the best and brightest leaders out there, they have ways of bringing out the best in their people, how to motivate them, how to involve them in decisions, how to recognize and appreciate them, um, and how to understand them. And, and I would say uh, in the investment management business, um, 
obviously your your job is to deliver great performance. So you have to be focused. Um, and so avoid distractions and how you manage your business. But you also have to surround yourself with great people and bring out the best in them. So when you were observing and looking at these companies you were analyzing, how did you know whether they were focused on their people or the bottom line? Because that's not always very apparent. No, it, it isn't. And and the way we used to do it is is through um, certain types of interrogative techniques and, and really who we met with. So we didn't just meet with the very top people. We also met with some of the, the rising stars and we would get the best intelligence about how a business is managed from the younger people in the workforce there who weren't per, maybe as coached, you know, as, as maybe the leaders were, because obviously they're going to tell you what they think we want to hear. So we have to dig through that. And one of the ways we would do it is, is through the way we would question, but also um, inviting people in one-on-one meetings to talk about the leadership of the business. And it was very telling. Really? Any specific stories come to mind uh, on a successful, uh, something that was just stood out to you as a, a great company, a great culture? You know, the, the interesting thing I would say in, in defining who had the greatest culture of any organization I've ever been involved with, it's Russell. It was my employer. And um, we actually had a division at Russell called the People Division. And this division was led by George Russell, the founder, or one of the main founders. His wife, Jane, headed the People Division. And her job was making Russell to be viewed by the employees as the greatest place in the world to work for. And we actually ranked nationally in the top 12. And at the state level, I think for three years in a row, we were rated number one. And it was everything poured into how do you bring out the best in your people. They, they would um, do any number of department level as well as company-wide type functions um, and in the end, um, they truly did that. And, and when Russell was at its best and brightest, it was when George was at the helm putting people first. Years later, after the company sold to Northwestern Mutual, there was a little bit of a change in that culture. It started to be a little bit more bottom line focused, growth focused. And you know what happens with that? You start losing that culture and and some things happen that I, I would attribute directly to kind of moving away from that a little bit. Now, I would guess as an analyst managing $30 billion, the the companies that perform best in your portfolio, was there a pretty direct correlation to these cultures of people and relationships and, and this kind of excellence and focus? There is definitely that because in the investment management arena, almost more than any other field, it is so easy to have great talent poached by other organizations. So it was only those organizations that were able to attract the best and brightest and retain them. And the only way you could do that is understanding people, what brings out the best in them and making sure that that's a part of um, the way you manage your business and your people. And um, and certainly continuity of keeping um, their 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 most excellent staff members was one of the distinguishing features of 
the managers that were able to sustain great investment performance. Now, now Dennis, I'd love to have you share. How did you take some of those lessons learned and bring those down into high school kids? My son, I can so relate, he leaves for college this August, and I just feel this incredible sense of urgency that I have six, seven months left to just pour into him. But also, you know, that that generation of millennials that are coming into the workforce today, there's so many leaders that are looking at this group and they're really struck because they have just very different mindsets and in some alignment with values, what's important to them than our generation. So what are some things that you're teaching the high school kids, the millennial generation, and also the leaders that have to work with this group to pull the two together for you know, a great future. You bet. Well, um, it's interesting. About a, six months or so ago, I, I was in Appleton, Wisconsin at a high school giving a talk called How to Be an MVP Employee. And why is this so relevant? Well, so many young people don't have the kind of jobs available like you and I might have had when we were in our teen years. And, and if you don't have any experience in the workforce, you really are going in fairly green. And that's part of the issue in the millennial generation is they're not having many of the same opportunities that we did of, of working in that real world. So in my talk, I, I focused on four strategies. I said, number one, you've got to find a career that fits you like a glove. So they have to really understand themselves, what they're passionate about, what they're skilled in, um, and make their career decision one of the most well-researched decisions they will ever make. So that's step one. Um, step new, step two is that you have to model the qualities that employers value. And so I talked about nine different um, softer skills that are essential for people to truly succeed in the workforce. And you know, the number one quality I shared is what are your standards of excellence? Are you, are you all about excellence in everything you do? how you perform on the job, as well as um, how you relate to other people and how you live your life. So we talked about that. We talk about integrity as is essential. We talk about dependability, that when it comes to the workforce, you must be someone that is dependable in delivering great work on time every time. Um, and then the fourth one has to do with relational skills, knowing the different people that you're going to be working with, people that might, in some cases, share your values or not, um, people that are in uh, that are going to be above you, that are at peer levels, or people who are um, below you in an organization. You have to know how to relate with other people and customers. So those are are just four of the things that I mentioned in in modeling the qualities that, that employers value. And then the third area is how to deliver on-the-job excellence. And I talked about the importance of understanding how you are going to be evaluated. You must understand what excellence is in the, the mind of the person who is evaluating you. And I share many stories from my career of how I went about doing that, um, how I would actually have my boss define to me what he or she considered as excellence. Because if I don't know what they, how they're defining it, I'm not going to be able to deliver it. So I used to do that um, and a few other strategies. And then the fourth one um, is you have to understand how you can build value in your organization 
And that means uh, contributing to your employer's success. So instead of just doing your job well, find other ways where you can contribute to the health and success and well-being of your, your company. That could be increasing sales. It could be reducing expenses. It could be innovating. It could be leading projects. But go beyond your job description and find ways that leaders in your organization are going to say, this person goes above and beyond their job to contribute to our organization's success. So those are the kinds of examples of things that I'm able to share from my, my leadership background and, um, and write them in books or do them in talks that are DVDs, et cetera. You know, it's interesting uh, that brings up when I was in the Navy as a fighter pilot, uh, I had decided. I made a decision. I'm going to make this a career. I want to be a commanding officer of a fighter squadron, and I went to our commanding officer who had just come from being the CEO of Top Gun, and had come to head up our squadron. I went into him. He graduated from the Naval Academy, and I said, "I want to make it a career skipper." That's what we called a commanding officer. What advice do you have for me? And that's exactly what he shared with me. It's really about servant leadership. He said, everybody tries to do something big and splashy to get noticed uh, if they're trying to get noticed. But every day, if you just serve, do something extra outside of your job description to serve somebody that's either senior or junior from you, you might never get ever noticed or public recognition. But at the end of the day, when doors are opening or promotions are available or opportunities come up, uh, everybody's going to know that you're the person that we should be uh, moving into that position. And that served me so well. And I've shared that with my boys and my sons and tried to really incorporate that into their thinking, uh, just to always go that extra mile. Well, that's biblical also, but just just take that extra step. It is. And, and John, what you just described is one of the key points that I share with young people. And that is, you have to understand how to build your own sales force. Who are the people that that can become ambassadors for you? And the best way you can do that is to be a servant leader, pour into other people, whoever they may be, they will be the ones to go to bat for you. And uh, it's a, it's one of the most important things that a parent can train their children that in this day and age, you need to have a network of ambassadors going to bat for you, opening those doors. Um, and it's, it's something that parents need to be intentional about doing for their kids because their parents have the best networks um, available. And one of the greatest gifts they can give their kids is access to great people that you have in your lives. And so way to go. You talked about before, Dennis, these four areas, understanding, having the kids understand really their self so they can look at a career that aligns with uh, what works for them. Some of the soft skills, the values, standards of excellence, relationship skills uh as a parent what have you found that works to sow those skills and equip you know our teenagers there's a lot of people listening that are in exact that situation and probably wondering that you bet well you know in the the various talks that we give um to schools and the the students that we meet if there is one thing i would say that is most needed by teenagers that they're not getting it's affirmation of their worth, their value, and their potential. Um, when you talk to a group of inner city students, many of whom ho- who don't have fathers in their lives or great modeling um, in their lives, 
um, they are broken in so many cases because no one has ever called out their worth and their value to them. And, and then you go to a private school that are f- filled with students that are on the fast track, very successful parents. Um, they also are broken, but in different ways. It's because in many cases, the parents are putting so much performance pressure on them. Parents are basically defining success as you've got to go to the same school that we got to get you into the same school that that I went to, or you've got to pursue my hmm. um, my career foot, you know, take the footsteps into my career as well. And and so I think when it comes to working with our teenagers, the more we can help them through the self-discovery process of understanding who they are, um, what do they have to offer this world? And uh, in our um, in our parenting for the launch book, we devote a whole chapter to this, which is affirming their immeasurable worth. How do we as parents call out their assets, their uniqueness, and, um, and bring them you know, to bear? So that's one major area. And the other one is just knowing how to communicate with them. As they're growing, they're getting more independent. Um, talking to them doesn't work as well as sharing with them. It's an important distinction. Well, that's a very important point. So, you know, as a parent, how do you balance, you know, college has become so competitive. We want our kids to get into college. So GPAs, ACT scores, you know, whether you're a varsity letterman or non, you know, community service, all these things that colleges look at. There's a lot of parents that are just driving their kids to basically create this pre-college resume. So how do you balance some of the, you know, desire as a parent to have the kids, you know, set up for success the way that the colleges are going to be looking at them with this communication of their worth and their value. Because I know I've, I've gotten lost in just focusing on, you know, some of the metrics and things that I know are going to help my son get into these colleges. You bet. Well, I think number one is impo- it's important for them to understand how they will be evaluated by by the different colleges. So what are some of the, the different areas that an, an admission uh, team is going to be looking at? So they need to know that, um, but they need to know it in a way that doesn't put so much pressure on them to feel like they have to have the perfect resume. The fact of the matter is any number of different colleges, if they do their job well as a student, will get them to where they need to go. And and a lot of parents are putting so much pressure that it's got to be this specific outcome, and it doesn't. But they need to understand how they're going to be evaluated. Um, And then I think it becomes a a coaching process of how Mm. we can help them um, build uh, build a resume that will also build those skills, those soft skills, um, build that servant heart, um, build a, a value system that is going to, frankly, be the most important thing in their life success. Um, in in parenting for the launch, I mentioned about um, this leadership assignment that we developed uh, called developing a personal balance sheet. And it's a way that parents can work with their kids to identify the major assets that their children have that are unique and precious and valuable. And it's an assignment that parents can take a leadership role in with their children, have the the children 
develop their own self-assessments of my gifts and my talents, but then have their parents share their perspectives as well as other adults who know your, your, your children well, who will see them in different ways. And then suddenly, these, these kids are making their decisions on college and career with a much better understanding of their true worth and their value that they have to offer. You know, Dennis, as you work with teenagers, young adults, and their parents, where have you seen some of the biggest gaps between some of these these skills and areas that they need to work on, uh, you know, between practice and, and where they really need to be? You bet. Well, I would say that the, when you look at what are the, the areas that derail most kids after they leave home, it usually has to do with um, an inability to make good social transitions. I'm in this new environment. I, I grew up in the same town forever. I know all of these great friends, and now everyone's scattered. And I, I need to know who of this pool of strangers is meant to be my friend. And, and many, many young people, I would say number one issue um, is an inability to make that social transition, be able to make new friends patiently, make new friends who share your interests and values. So um, I think the, the social arena, the relational arena is a big, big deal. Um, the second area has to do with the, the need for self-discipline and being able to hold on to your your value system as you're faced with many new opportunities to get in trouble and derail your life. In many cases, in the effort to make friends, people compromise their values because they get lonely. And loneliness is the killer. And so Mm -hmm. everything we can do to prepare our kids for the fact that they're going to feel that way from time to time. Um, and, And how do you go about Uh, making great uh, social choices. How do you manage your study time efficiently? And I I developed a study method that I share in my first book to help adapt to the college environment. Um, How do you go about managing your time? It's, It's such a critical thing when you are now in the college arena where that is your job, school is your job, but you're faced with all of these different distractions. You have to take control of your time. So I would say time management and study discipline, um, the social arena, and, and how do you adapt academically to a new world of much greater competition and more pressure um, to succeed. So this sounds like a great time during this phase as the kids are getting you know toward that launch to sit down and really authentically share with them your experiences, you know, here's what worked for me as I got to school. Here's where, hey, you know, I, I got in with this crowd and started drinking. This is my story. I almost failed out of school my freshman year and lost my scholarship. I was on a Navy scholarship because I totally got into with this very social crowd and was thought I was having fun until I almost ruined the whole thing. And I've been able to share all that with, with my boys on what were the consequences. And we just had this dialogue as, you know, like two, more of a mentorship than dad telling him, hey, don't do, don't go join this and don't drink. And, and, and I think that's what you're talking about is really authentically sharing and having a dialogue with your kids versus just being a dispenser of advice. That's right. And sharing in humility is the greatest trust builder 
you can you can have with your children when you are willing to share your stories and things that didn't work out that opens up that trust um, that trust we call that building relationship capital and that's one of the most effective strategies um, kids remember stories a lot more than than particular instructions and so all of our work that we do in our books is designed to help parents um, really feel empowered to share with their children their stories and and introduce them to other people who can pour into them as well in sharing their stories because they know we, we want them to do well in life, but we have to be honest about the best ways to get our points across. Well, let me share this. I was tell, telling my boys last night that we were going to have this interview today, and I asked him if there's one question that he could ask you. I, I shared with him your website and your book, and uh, we're going to actually go through together, by the way, and read the book a chapter at a time and have discussions about it. He and I did this with a book called Every Man's Battle, and it just created just an incredible relationship and bond uh, You know, as we did that together, just real time sharing. But here's what he asked. I'll just read it to you. Uh, what's the best way to keep your faith strong and alive when on campus at a non-Christian college? So he's wondering how he can do that himself. And he said, how can parents help instill and equip kids in that environment when they, when they do go to college? So that's from a 17 year old. And that's what he'd like to ask you. Okay. If you would give him a high 10 for me, those are (laughs) such excellent, excellent questions. Um, I think the fact of the matter is that when when you go away to college and you meet many different people that have different faiths, your faith will be tested. You just you know that going into it. So I think one of the most important uh, questions to talk about is where do you have any doubts in your faith? Um, a lot of times people um, get off track in their faith when they're faced with challenges to their faith by non-believers and they have a hard time defending it. So we always ask, what are the toughest questions? Maybe it's about suffering. You know, maybe it's about why, you know, why bad things happen to good people or why God would let this happen. Or maybe it has to do with science and, you know, evolution. How do I understand these? So, so really think about where, where you might have your own doubts. And let's work together to find some great apologetics material, et cetera, to help you along the way. The second thing that's really critical is to make a big place small and to do what you can, A, to plug into a church. Uh, so one of the top priorities when you get to campus, even ahead of time, is look around the community of that school to find where are some different churches that you can, you can sample because you want to maintain your connection with a faith community. Um, Third, on campus, they will um, generally have different faith communities, whether it's crew or Young Life or other organizations. The thing about the intimidation of of social and spiritual transitions is you don't know anyone. And so the, the fact that you can go into a university and find organizations that have people that share your faith gets you off to a great start from the get-go. And, um, and so uh, that becomes really important. And then um, another thing that I would, would really say is that if, if everyone can think about how God has impacted their lives, how God was the most real to them, 
Maybe it was an answered prayer. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe it was a person that he introduced you to at exactly the right time. But, but those times where you knew that God was absolutely looking out for you and your best interest, make that list. So whenever you do have some of those doubts, you could always refer back to that as that, that those, those sets of personal evidences that you have so that when people challenge you about your faith, You've got all the ammunition and more that you need. Well, you know, I love that because, you know, in that movie, God's Not Dead, uh, that came out of uh, actually one of the partners from Pinnacle Forum. That's where that also started. Uh, But that young man that was in that movie that was really challenged with his faith. And he had that. He had those experiences. And that became his anchor. When when the storms blew and he was really challenged, sometimes there was just one or two experiences that he held on to that just kept him strong through through this incredible hurricane that he was in the middle of. Absolutely. And I think it's just so essential, um, I think, too. And one other point that I'm going to mention that ties into the role that the parent can play, um, and that is do everything you can to surround your kids with other godly leaders and do everything you can to introduce them, to develop those other relationships. Because the more that, that I, as a teenager, have an army of people that have my best interests at heart, that share my faith and values, the more I am going to be um, supported in, in a structure and a foundation that I need for living. And uh, boy, we as parents need to be thinking more strategically on that level. So what would that look like in practice, Dennis? Okay. Okay. So here's what I do. Um, what I do is I think of people that are in my life that I want my children to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to meet because I think they would really love my children because uh, our kids are wonderful and unique and all of that. But I also want these other people to be viewed as potential mentors in their lives. So what I do is I will prearrange a coffee with my son or my daughter. And in the meantime, I will call my friend and say, could you stop at Starbucks between three and four o'clock today? I'm going to be having a chat with my son um, about whatever. And I would love for you to be there if at that same time where it just so happens that we're talking and you show up. And I wave you over, I introduce you to my son, you get a little conversation started. And how different is that than if I go to my son and say, you know what, because of these issues that you're facing, I got a person in my life that I want to introduce <laughs> you to make you well. And so I do you're going to go see the principal. <laughs> right? Right. And I cannot tell you. I mean, believe it or not, my son is married today because of a person I introduced him to at a coffee. This, this works. And it, the kids love it. But they have no idea what I'm doing behind the scenes. But but now they do now that you've told this story <laughs> well, on this show. All of this out, or I'm going to make sure they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's interesting because I you know I, I took my my son who's going into college now, and I we went and had a whole bunch of lunches that we arranged with people who I I respected and their values and their integrity, their character, who were in all kinds of different fields. 
oil and gas and sales and consulting and just so my son uh, could get to really, you know, know these people and just see. And there was definitely a field that he gravitated to because he just liked the stories that he heard and the people that they said they were around and the kind of business that they did. And that was huge for him. But having this ongoing idea of mentorship as he's in college, you know, he's going to be going to college in state. Uh, which is lucky for me, but say, hey, let's, buddy, let's meet for for coffee through his freshman year. I'll have to make sure he doesn't listen to this. And uh, but have people come and pop in and constantly being sowing other people's opinions in their life because sometimes it, it, what you're sharing from from uh, dad or mom doesn't always get past that father son father daughter barrier. But another person, they're just the walls are down. And what you just described is probably the greatest parent frustration of raising teenagers, right? They used to think, they used to worship mom and dad and all of our wisdom. And then all of a sudden, mom and dad aren't so smart and you start getting the look. And, and then you find that your friends who say the same thing that you do um, are just viewed as these wise people. And you think, hmm, how does that work? It just comes with the territory. So... Uh, chapter, um, actually, chapter eight of our Parenting for the Launch book is devoted to uh, recruiting positive third-party voices into the lives of your kids. It's it's huge. I love this approach. I'm gonna be. That's my big takeaway from today. You know, as you know, as we wrap up here, Dennis, what what are just one or two things you'd love to li- leave with the parents or maybe even the kids that are listening to this? You bet. Well, I would just say, you know, to the parents. Um, raising children is is one of the most amazing responsibilities that we will ever be given. And the fact of the matter is we need to be kind of strategic about how we go about doing it. Um, and we need to understand that as our, our children grow and become independent teenagers, that our relationships are going to be tested and strained from time to time. So the more we understand that, um, the more we can come alongside and be a coach, uh, make that, that transition, um, the more we can um, help them understand their uniqueness, their value, and almost most importantly, how much we believe in them and in their future and how much God believes in them too. That all of those investments in relationship that we make with our kids, they will pay off eternally and and even in adulthood a little earlier than that. So um, just focus on building a strong relationship built on trust um, and, uh, and do whatever you can to be their biggest encouragers along the way. Um, and for the kids out there, I would just say mom and dad are smarter than you think. And when, they are, when you are probably 22, 23, 24, you're going to realize that. So why don't you just accept that? Uh, why don't you get a head start and do everything you can to take every ounce of their wisdom and the wisdom of the people that are they are uh, recruiting into your lives to heart? Dennis, I'd love for you to just take a couple minutes and just talk about, I, if you've been on this mission to really raise and equip this next generation of leaders, I know you're involved in Pinnacle Forum. Dan Mylan, who was on, was is also in the same forum with you. So I, I'd love for you to just share a little bit here as we, as we wrap up. Absolutely. Well, my new life mission is in training up the younger generation. 
um, whether it's providing resources directly to them or resources to the people who are guiding them, whether it's a parent or, or, or a school. Um, and I'm also about getting God's truth and strategies back into the public square again. And, um, and so along that journey, we've developed books and talks and DVDs that, um, that focus very heavily on the family mountain and the education mountain, if you think of the seven mountains of culture. A friend of mine asked me if I had ever heard of the Pinnacle Forum. And I said, you know, I, I thought I did, but I, I haven't done a lot of research. He says, I'm going to introduce you to Steve Fadisky. He's the head of Pinnacle Forum. You must know that organization. They need to know what you're doing, and you need to know what they're doing. So um, I'm a rookie partner at Pinnacle Forum. Um, I've been involved since November. Um, and I cannot be a stronger ambassador for an organization than I am for Pinnacle. Um, I've plugged into a teleforum. My schedule doesn't permit, you know, in-person meetings with people um, so much, but I'm on a teleforum um, with eight other um, leaders who are, are godly leaders, and I learn so much from them. They're a great network. They're great encouragers. Um, they are great role models. Um, I love every other week where I have to get up at six in the morning for a conference call because I know I am surrounded by kingdom-minded, um, influential, um, uh, world-changing people who I learn so much from. So I'm getting great connections uh, from a business standpoint, um, but also I'm growing spiritually and I am being inspired by a group of amazing people who in their own way God is using in big ways. I love it. Well, Dennis, I couldn't echo your comments more strongly. I have the exact same feelings about the forum that I'm in. So, and, and I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today, sharing with us. I know this is going to make a difference in the lives of, you know, a lot of kids and a lot of parents just struggling. With, you know, how do I launch these guys successfully? Because it's a scary time for me. I know it is for a lot of other people. Oh, you got to you got to totally let go of the reins and hope the uh, you know the buggy the horse doesn't run into the side of the barn. So oh, absolutely. And I want to just say one thing: if you'd be surprised about how emotional this the last semester of the senior year is, um, and the greatest gift you can give to your kids is a letter to them, straight from the heart of what they have meant to you and the assets that you see in them, uh, the belief that you have in them, um, and what an honor and a privilege and a joy it was to be um, God's chosen father in their lives. It is a gift that um, is, is just absolutely immeasurable. That is, you know, well, that is going to be great therapy for my wife, who is a complete mess during this season of life. And I'm going to, I'm going to write that letter. I think we'll do that together and give that to John to read. I think that's a great idea. So uh, thank you so much again, Dennis. Wonderful. Well, it's great to be with you, John and Steve. Uh, thanks so much again for having me. Since this interview, Dennis has really become a friend and supporter of this show, and we are honored to have him on. If you know anyone that would benefit from this interview, please spread the word. John and I are bootstrapping this thing as we get going, and it's word of mouth endorsements that really mean the most to us. If you would like to learn more about Dennis's books, 
speaking, his blog, etc. Just go to eternalleadership.com slash 021. That's for episode number 21. Again, eternalleadership.com slash 021. There you'll see the show notes with all of those links, eternalleadership.com slash 021. You can also just click the link embedded in this MP3 on your smartphone, tablet, or on your computer. And if you're one of those ones that are a little technologically challenged and want to know how to find that embedded link that we put in every week, just message us through Facebook or connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll talk you through it. It's a really, really cool feature. Links are right there on your phone as you listen. I love that. Next time on Eternal Leadership, John and I talk with author Daniel Henderson on his book, The Deeper Life, Satisfying the Eight Vital Longings of Your Soul. And, and so many of us base our identity in things that change. The one thing that never changes is the rock-solid truth of who God is and what He says to be true about me. If you know anyone that longs for a deeper life, be sure to let them know about our next episode. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.